0: Welcome to episode number two hundred and fifteen of Destination Linux. Yay! Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill, and with me today are the directors of the upcoming direct to DVD Tux versus Godzilla movie, Ryan, Noah, and Michael. (laughs) Tux win
1: completely legit.
0: Yes. (laughs) so today we're going to discuss why being a supporter of open source does not mean that you are anti-commercial and later in the show we're going to go on a treasure hunt in my silicon world of wonders and hardware museum we also have our tips tricks and software picks a very special announcement as well all this coming up right now on destination linux so keep your penguins marching yay Remember, last week we said we had an exciting announcement to make. Well, this week we're ready to announce an official digital DLN Lugfest on March 21st. Yes! Yay! For the whole community. Oh, yeah.
2: Wait, Michael, weren't we supposed
1: to give the patrons the super secret update ahead of time last we, yeah. week? And, we,
2: and, and then we completely and we, forgot. We're so getting it now.
1: So we forgot. Sort of, and then, after uh, the ending of the post show, the people who the patrons who were still there, I did inform them. so that did okay. we sort of did it. but yeah, we we didn't do it as uh, effectively as as intended, <laughs> but but, uh, they had,
2: but they had to wait for a Michael montage to complete for two and a half hours to get that news right there. Uh, <laughs> it
1: seems legit, yeah. But anyway, it's great because we're doing a DLN community lug fest. So everybody, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, we're actually going to stream it so I guess it's kind of like a lug cast or something. I don't know. But we're going to be streaming it so everybody can participate even if you you can watch if you if you if you don't want to participate, but everybody who wants to can do so. We're going to post it on the DLN forum. Uh, the link to join us when it comes to that time, but uh, we're we're going you're going to be able to, you're going to need to be at a have an account on the DLN forum in order to get the link because we don't want to have it publicly out there because you know there's things that happen, possibly. Uh, so uh, be sure to be, get an account on the DLN Forum. Go to DLNforum.com to get that account to see the the link that we will post it uh, probably like a week ahead of time. But just when we want to let you know that it's coming, mm-hmm. so put it on your schedule, on your calendar so you can have it scheduled there for you. Uh, it's March 21st. The time specific—
3: it 21st or 25th? 21st.
1: Did I say 21st? 21st. Okay. I'm pretty sure I said 21st. I don't know. Kay. It's Sunday, March 21st. The time Kay. is going to be uh, not necessarily specific, but right after DL. So however long it takes us to get done with DL, probably around 3 p.m. Eastern or so, but right after DL. 3.30, 4.30. So, uh, we're going to be super efficient that week. Guaranteed. Oh. No problem. So so somewhere around that time. Uh, but anyway, put it on your on your schedule. Sunday, March 21st. Uh, that sometime after deal.
2: <laughs> I'm excited. Everyone's going to get together. Yeah. We're going to talk geeky pop culture, <laughs> Linux. Oh, We're yeah. going to school Noah on why Star Trek's the greatest show ever made. Yeah. All That's these all things. Absolutely.
1: Yes. <laughs> Perfect.
2: All right. In other news in our community feedback, I wanted to pull from the forums this week on our discourse forum. So if you want to head to destinationlinks.network and join those forums, lots of interesting discussions going on. But one caught my attention from Ulf Nick. Nick, by the way, is just an amazing member of our community, moderator, helps out with the show incredibly, uh, but posted a topic asking, does anyone have experience using a USB data link cable between two Linux machines? I can't find information anywhere. I already have a NAS, but I'm looking for a way to transfer files over USB so I can share data on the fly from a mounted folder. I've done OTG-based networking with a Pi Zero and I could probably get OTG mass storage working with it. It requires a USB chip compatible with gadget mode and the appropriate modules turned on in the kernel. Support seems to be the exception rather than the rule, and I'd like freedom to pick any hardware open to any ideas out there. So there were some ideas posted. Most of them revolved around using an Ethernet cable instead of a USB cable. But since we have Noah from the Ask Noah show, Mm -hmm. I figure we may put him on the spot, even though you could call into the Ask Noah show weekly to get this information and say, Noah, what advice would you give had Mm Ulfnik called into your show?
3: Uh, Well, (laughs) let's start. How about you guys give your answer and then uh, then (laughs) I'll I'll round out. To me,
2: I feel like the Ethernet cable, instead of using a USB cable and then using something like Netcat to transfer the files would be how I personally would have gone about it. I don't know that I've tried the USB cable to another machine with Linux ever in my Tenure with Linux, anyway. I also
1: have to second that because I typically just use the Ethernet su- solution, and uh, the, the the I've tried, to, I've done the OTG stuff, but only from like phone to computer and stuff like that. I've never considered the as as a solution because because the Ethernet for me just felt like it was faster. Although there there is a little bit more setup for that.
0: And I have actually done the OTG way of doing it except with Windows you know years ago going from a Windows machine to a Windows machine to a from a USB cable that and it had uh, you know software specifically written for it. I think one of the problems under Linux is that we have the capability of it um, in a module called USB Etho but no one has really implemented software for it interesting yeah you know, that that's been one of the problems. And I know other people who have been trying to do this as, as well.
2: NicoJet <laughs> so in our chat says the solution is to install Windows. That's not nah, what we're saying. No, 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 no. No, but that's pretty funny.
0: We just need some some really good Linux software for doing this and make it easy peasy.
2: <laughs> so Noah, what would you come up with? Would the Ethernet cable also be your solution there?
3: Yeah, it could be. Um, so well, we'll start here. There are times, right, where depending on how much data you have to move and how far you have to move it sometimes it's faster just to actually connect a hard drive now when you're connecting a hard drive directly to the machine there's a couple of different ways you could do it. you could do it over usb but the maximum speed you're going to achieve uh depending on what you know if it's usb one two three uh you're you're still in the megabits of seconds or megabits per second right mm-hmm. when you move over to something like thunderbolt now you get into like the 40 uh, now you get into gigabits per second, and we get upwards of uh, we can get upwards of forty. In between those two is network, and network. If with the right equipment, you can match or exceed forty gigabits per second. Right, if you have the right switching gear and all that. But at the end of the day, like then you've got other bottlenecks in your system. And so one of the nice things about networking or doing it the network way is, first of all, it's Linux is designed from the ground up to be a network operating system, and so within Linux contains all of the tools and configuration that you're going to need necessary to move files from one to the other. Additionally, though, network commodity hardware is very inexpensive. And so you can, if you want to get up to a gigabit per second, you can get a gig switch for under 50 bucks. And if you want to go even higher than that, there are ways that you can start using either i guess at that point you're back to having some sort of thunderbolt interface because you have to get to pci but you can even get to the point where you're starting to put like sfps inside of your computer and you can start running optical or uh, fiber right into your to your computer and yeah that's how a lot of people that's great like that's the way we do uh, video editing for example over a nas Um, don't want all of that file footage not on zfs not backed up not somewhere secure Mm -hmm. at the same time can't really edit it on the fly, if you're just going, you know, over Wi-Fi with the 250 meg connection. So that, that's not going to work. Um, and so that's where fiber kind of co- comes into play. And so, yeah, the uh, network is the most flexible way. The other thing I would encourage you to do is consider this. In other industries, in the audio industry, we're moving towards audio over IP. When I built the Asno Show Studio, we didn't, we don't have a, there's not a single audio wire that's in there. The microphones go into encoders and that's it. Headphones go plug into decoders and that's it. Everything else happens inside of, a computer and everything is an IP packet. Same thing with video, right? All of video stuff is moving towards NDI. You just don't see if they're building a TV station today, they're not building it uh, with SDI cables anymore. They're, everything is over the network. Why? Because it's more expandable. It's more flexible. Um, and you don't have to deal with newer standards. New standards come out. It's, it, when it's on the network, everything is there. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, are there ways to do it locally? Sure. But Doing it over the network is going to get you there a lot cheaper, a lot faster, and with a lot less headache.
2: Love it. Well, we love hearing from our worldwide community. So what we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down at the nearest stool, and send an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Or you can post discussion topics like this on our DLN forum, and we may bring it back to the show to give you the answers from the hosts themselves. So thank you, Nick, for all the work you do for Destination Linux and also posting an awesome topic.
3: This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced a new app platform service, which is a solution to build cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, scale apps, and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub or GitLab repository towards the app platform and let them do all the heavy lifting. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and container images. DigitalOcean runs their own app platform at their own in their own infrastructure, and that means that your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they built this new app platform on top of their DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take control of your infrastructure. Now, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you're going to get started for free—better than free—because DigitalOcean is giving you that $100 credit by going to do.co/dln. Again, do.co/dln to get started with that free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new. app Platform. And of course, a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux.
1: And there's a, there's a topic I wanted to, to discuss on the show today. I know this will be potentially controversial, but I think the subject needs to be brought out in the open. So first of all, let's. I just want to say that one of the things I love the most about the ecosystem we all are passionate about is the open source nature of it. Open source is a fundamental building block of the awesomeness that is Linux. Um, you know, however, I've noticed that a bit of a weird contradiction shared by some people in a variety of places. Uh, there's some places you might find a sentiment that it needs a bit of an exploring. Like, for example, you know, some parts of the community think that open source equals anti-commercialism, and to me, I think this is kind of an issue. So, while open source is a very big thing, not just about Linux, I wanted to give an example to illustrate the parts where uh, commercial entities have contributed to the Linux kernel. Uh, just as an example to explain, like, why commercialism is not necessarily a negative in the course in the case of open source so of course companies like red hat and susa have contributed to the kernel but also there's companies like intel amd huawei lenaro and even google and facebook have contributed did we have to bring uh, them into the example i didn't did have, have to, to? <laughs> and it, it felt like right. it was kind of like e, e, they have done a lot of contributions to they have stuff yes. like even butterfs and things like that there's there's been a lot of there but it's just to say that i think that you know open open source is a very fundamental thing that is very important to linux and also just in general to business and these days just software because it is it is that it is becoming that important uh, but also i think that there's a lot of you know there's a there's a, a significant amount of people who are looking at open source and commercialism as being like polar opposites and i, I don't think that they they necessarily are i mean it's not not to say that commercialism is always fantastic but i think that there is a lot of places where the open source concept has been benefited greatly from it.
2: No, I I agree. I think it's important that we recognize that fact. And I'm not sure everybody understands how much of a contribution these commercial entities give to something. As an example of open source, It's a big part of open source is the Linux kernel itself. You know, people like Red Hat contributing over 14% of the kernel code for some of these updates. Facebook, 7.9% of the code. Uh, for maintaining and gatekeeping and these type of things as well, which without that we would be losing critical functionality. I know every time I see a new kernel release, I get geek squeals. Sometimes when I see who contributed that kernel release, it's something really awesome, and the company is not something the company that I particularly like their commercial offerings that they have, like a Facebook, for instance. But I can still stop and appreciate the fact that without that contribution, right, without taking those resources that company used to create that software wouldn't be as far ahead as it is today. And I have to think historically, you know, an abridged version in in my world anyways, or view of Linux in the four years that I've been in it is open source software, even four years ago when I started was just kind of starting to be taken seriously by companies. But it really had a stigma around it where companies were not quite yet ready to move I didn't feel like towards that open source model because number one they don't control the code and they don't they didn't really understand how it worked or how it contributed I'm talking about big giant companies as a whole there are obviously examples in there where companies were still using it in big ways but now in industries all across you just hear news every day of how they're adopting open source they were able to evolve and kind of say hey we need to switch from this idea that Open source can't be secure. It can't be scalable. It, you know, It's just regular contributors, so you can't really trust it. We don't control the code, so now we're going to be at risk of some other company coming and taking it away and stealing our ideas. And we've seen that open up over the years tremendously. And those companies basically changed their stance on open source. And I think in some ways, we have to be careful on both sides of this because I see why the anti-commercial establishment exists very heavily. I get it more than anybody else, um, watching corporations come in and take over projects and ruin things. you know, Of course, the uh, embrace, extend, extinguish type of concepts and things that you hear out there, these things happen. They're not fake. They're not aluminum foil tin hat things. They do take place. So to me, I see both sides of this argument. I see that these companies come in and they make huge contributions. You really couldn't have scaled easily to this level without them. Some of these projects probably wouldn't exist without them. But I also see the other side that we have to be very careful to have a strong governance of this commercial software or company engagement to make sure that we're sticking to our standards. And to me, the first thing that comes to mind is stuff like Visual Studio tool that Microsoft released, that it's an open source project, but in it, there's a lot of metadata stuff that you have to go turn off, right? So it's open source. But there's a lot of that metadata grabbing. And at some point I started asking myself, because I like the Visual Studio too. It's such a cool tool. Am I just basically creating a Windows environment on a Linux box by having all of that metadata built into a tool? You know, I'm using software that's doing the same thing that I was mad at. Reason why I left Windows to begin with. And so I guess that's my stance. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle where I feel like we need somebody who represents. Our standards and our foundation so we don't lose that as these companies get involved in Linux and open source.
3: Part of it, I think, is you have to start from the perspective of what the companies are setting out to accomplish, right? When Facebook looks over at open source, it evaluates open source from the standpoint of, does it contain something more valuable than their proprietary alternative that they can use to promote and sell and manage and grow Facebook. And so to the extent that we look over at Facebook and go, oh, they've look at all the work they did to ButterFS. That's really fantastic. But look what they're doing with it. It's horrific. Well, of course it is. That's what Facebook set out to do was to to, to, to achieve their goal, right? And so if you didn't agree with the goal before they started using open source software to do it, it always makes me laugh when people get upset. It's like, it's like, well, what did you think was going to happen when they took a really powerful tool and used it towards a goal that you didn't agree with? Of course, they shot ahead way faster and way further, and they were way more successful. That's what we've been saying from the beginning, isn't it? That this way of doing it, this model is, is a better approach to technology because it it takes into effect the natural growth and the natural direction of technology. It's open source. Uh and in and, and so what it allows is one guy over here to really hyper-focus on this thing and one guy over there to really ho- hyper-focus on that thing. And then the guy who says, I am the best file system ever. And Facebook looks over and says, you know what we really need? The best file system ever. Because guess what we have? Lots and lots of files. Turns out the whole world wants to send us all their photos and videos and stuff like that. The only way that we can really sell it, make money off of them and scrape them all if we had a place to store them reliably and that grows and scales and all of those kinds of things, right? And so then ButterFS becomes the perfect solution. And so when I bring... People from the community, I go into the community to find these people and say, hey, will you come on the show? Will you talk about ButterFS? People that show up to Ask Noah, they're coming from Facebook. Why? It's not that I reached out to Facebook. It's not that I like Facebook's product. But at the end of the day, the people that are doing the best work in open source, in that particular area, happen to work at Facebook. And there's other people that are, are doing th- their best work and they happen to work at Oracle. And that doesn't make Oracle a bad company. If you want to change Oracle, you get more people that we that have the right motives a- 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 and the right technical perspective and get those people involved with those companies long-term. I see that as our success. And so when I see things like large companies that some of which we agree with, some of which we don't agree with, uh, contributing to open source. Yeah, I still think that moves us forward. Is Microsoft going to try to scrape data when they release a product into Linux? Yes, but the whole idea of open source is somebody can go and strip that thing back out, We take the parts that we like and, and reject the parts we don't, just like eating a watermelon.
1: I mean, true. Yeah. There's, there's also like VS Codeium, which is exactly that, where they mm-hmm. took VS Code and ripped out exactly. all the telemetry stuff. So uh, there, that is a, a, like, there's going to be... I mean I think my, my point is not necessarily I wanted to bring it up because not I want to talk about like the, the to say that commercialism is automatically good in terms of open source people have mentioned in the in YouTube comments and reddit and stuff like that about mm-hmm. how they don't like uh, something to have a commercial aspect of it because it's they seem it as a as a contradiction to open source or even in some cases calling it a betrayal of open source and i wanted to bring this topic into the discussion because i think that there's uh, there's definitely a an, there's there's going to be a negative to you know th- the open source aspect because it means that anybody can be involved and that means that people who are bad actors could be involved too but it also means that the commercial aspect of these the software allows the sus- the, the sustainability of that software to be there, and I think that's the bigger, the biggest factor of, like for example, freemium model. You know, there's the freem- people look mm-hmm. at the freemium model being is like a aha, gotcha. And I think that the freemium model is a great example of a a structure that allows you to have open source uh, software, but also have a an incentive to pay for that software. Because if there's a lot of people who look at it as, well, since it's free, I don't have to pay for it, and therefore I won't. And I think that that is a. a pro-
2: I think that's a very valid point there with the freemium model stuff, because it, it is something you see come up a lot. But the problem with even a paid solution is, or, or a donation system is all of the back end stuff. Nobody's going to think about, may not even know about back end processes that somebody's contributing code to. And if you don't have a corporate interest or somebody who's funding, paying them to do this work, the likelihood of them getting a donation for backend stuff that you don't even know probably is running in the back of Linux, but is a very important, critical part of it, uh, to be able to fund their work, to be able to get things to move forward, you need to have these commercial entities involved. I think the point we're all making is that you still need to make sure that there's governance and in the VS Code example is a perfect way of how we kind of govern ourselves, right? If we don't like something that we're doing, we go and we create, fork it and create our own kind of open source model out there. But I also think we need to, because I've seen the comments too, when somebody goes and they take an open source project that they've been maintaining by themselves without corporate backing and then decide to change their platform, they charge for it. A lot of people get up in arms over that. And to me, I think it's perfectly acceptable and should be fine with people to say, hey, yes, while I love the freemium model because it helps close the digital divide, that's what makes something about Linux so beautiful. That person who wrote that code, who works on that, who spends their time on it, wants to charge ten dollars for it. Let them, and I don't think that should be discouraged.
3: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I yeah and I, I guess I don't. What other way do you fund? Yeah, the existence of those products.
2: Exactly. You know, you do it yourself.
3: Yeah. You sell your. You you let them use your data to or in your privacy to get to fund it, or you pay for it.
2: Yeah. No, I I agree 100%. I mean, people need to think about it. They're donating their time. They're taking time away from their families. They're taking time away from other things they could be doing to build this stuff. If they want to fund it in some unique way, let them and let's not discourage them from that. I think that if you want to keep commercial interests out, then you also have to allow people to make a living off of this stuff too. If if you want the Mm. involvement to be balanced between the commercial and the independent, then the independents have to have a way to make a living Mm -hmm. as well.
1: And I think the donation yeah. is a great thing but not is something that is not long term or scalable or anything like that. I think and I, and I guess I'm what I'm saying is kind of like the freemium model is is something I, I want other pro- more projects to adopt because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of projects that I use that if the, if they, they it gives me an example of what they want their software to be charged for. And it's it's you know, if someone says I can give them $10 once a year or something, great, but if they are willing to um you know, have a premium structure, they could, you know, more sustain that by saying, here's some extra features I'll give you for this price. And I, and most of the time when I Mm -hmm. see that, it's like, okay, great. I do want those features and I'm happy to give you money for that. So I think that that's just an issue where the open source uh, ecosystem kind of has this, this kind of like a, a, a polar opposite structure of some parts of the open source community are you know, lo- looking at open source should give them the like, entitlement of it being free. And then they're anti the commercial aspect. Whereas the, other, the, the real structure of open source is that it can be free for those who need it to be. And I think that's what makes it beautiful. And I think that, that if we look at it as a take advantage of the situation, means that that situation may not last very long.
2: So there's this interesting, uh, I have a video releasing either today or tomorrow about Onion Share. And the work that went into this next release of Onion Share is incredible. The guy who does this is Micah Lee, I hope I pronounce it correctly, who creates this, right? And one of the things I mentioned in the video is there's nowhere for me to donate. Because when I see projects like this that go from great to absolutely amazing, I want to give money to that project. I want to help support it. So they have, that's the cool thing about open source. If you don't want the donations, if you just want to give this out to the community and, and do the free work, you have that option. Uh, I think the point that we're all making is that nobody should be shamed for the otherwise, right, of trying to make money off of their products uh, if they want to. Because obviously this project, the new onion OnionShare version is so good, I was willing to immediately want to pay for it. Um, but if they don't want that, that's their option as well. And that's kind of what's cool about open source, right? They just sure. want to contribute to the overall ecosystem
0: yeah you know i i always try and donate as much as i can you know as as uh, money permits uh to i i want to i actually want to give money to all the software i use under right. under linux or open source otherwise and uh you know i i try and i like every few months i'll add it add a new uh, uh, patron or you know a paypal someone some money so that's yeah. definitely a thing and getting back to, you know, open source in, in, innovates and is fueled because of commercial investment. It, it really is. Everyone was a little upset when Microsoft acquired GitHub. And to tell the truth, since Microsoft acquired GitHub, it, we've had even more development on that, on that platform and more software has became available.
1: And also so, even I, GitHubs themselves said if they weren't acquired by someone, it was going to end.
0: And going, going to service. die. Exactly. Yeah. That, you know, Microsoft, the commercial entity, saved uh, one of our largest repositories of open source software. Yeah.
2: But <laughs> you have a competitor out there, right? GitLab. And people yes, get upset when GitLab changed their <laughs> policy to say, hey, you know, unless you can prove you're an open source project or something like that, we're going to charge for the, the small package you can't get upset over that they have to make a living they have to pay yeah. people to <laughs> develop this stuff believe it or not people don't just come in and do it all for free so we can't have both sides of it and I love your model Jill and, and a lot of us do the same thing where we try to donate to the software but I think there's mm-hmm. millions of lines of code there are so many different packages and things that happen in the boot up process and stuff that people contribute to that we're not aware of that you can't that model of donation is awesome and everybody should keep doing that but it doesn't necessarily cover the full gamut of open source, right? It's yeah. not going to fund everything by itself, and because there are a lot of things behind the scenes that people wouldn't even know to go to a specific developer to help support.
1: Yeah, I think this. Is, I think this is a really interesting conversation, and I think the takeaway is that uh, open source is uh, is and commercialism can work together. They, they're not necessarily always going to be the best fit, but I think that they absolutely can work together and there's a benefit to open source, as we've mentioned in the terms of like, fueling the development and sort of stuff like that. Uh, but I also want to get your opinion uh, for the community. So the DLN community, please let us know what you think, whether it's a YouTube comment or a DL, uh, go to the DLN forum thread to talk about it. What, what do you think is like, what do you think about this topic? Is commercialism a good, bad, or, you know, somewhere in between, like Ryan was saying, uh, let us know in the comments and also on the DLN forum. We'll have a link to all of that in the show notes.
2: This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. You can get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Now, this is really interesting. I had somebody come over my house and they were wanting me to look at their Windows machine. And I said, well, I'm going to need you to log in, but they needed to go do something. So they wrote their password down to get into their machine. And they made this comment. They said, hey, don't let this slip of paper get away from you because this is the same password I use for all of my accounts. And I was Mm. like, oh, we've got a problem. You got to stop right there. We're going (laughs) to install Bitwarden. Um, But a lot of people get stuck with this. They create a complex password. I'll give them credit. It was a complex password, but they're using it for every single account which means if you get hacked, go look at (laughs) SolarWinds. By the way, Pseudo Show did a fantastic podcast on that. If you get hacked and that one password gets taken, everything is going to be compromised. So that's why we recommend and we're thankful to have a sponsor like Bitwarden. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. They have a $10 premium account. You can create a different password for every single account you have. You can set up things with the $10 like YubiKey authentication in there. You have just the ability for encrypted storage, file storage. You have two-step login with U2F or Duo, Vault Health Reports, the Bitworn Authenticator course, and Priority Customer Support you get for $10 a year. $10 $10 a year. year.
1: That per year thing is very important piece. <laughs>
2: Not get <Yeah. laughs> hacked. Save thousands of dollars and tons of hours and time protecting yourself for $10 a year. I think it's well worth it. And I know a lot of LastPass people with the recent changes that happened in LastPass are switching over to Bitwarden right now. So it's just the perfect time to go check out bitwarden.com slash deal And we thank them for sponsoring Destination Linux and this episode. All right, so now for a topic that gets everybody excited every time we do a new show they're like can you please bring back jill's treasure hunt can we have another episode of jill's treasure when's jill's treasure hunt coming back (laughs) we get it you like jill that's why we brought her on the show um so it's time to bring the treasure hunt back in this episode jill we haven't started the business yet we're not selling tickets to your museum so this is a freemium for everybody Take us into your museum. What kind of cool treasures do you have to show us today?
0: Well, today I have something very bright and sunny to show you.
2: Of course you do, (laughs) (laughs) show. Whoa, that is bright and sunny. That is orange. That is (laughs) very, very orange.
0: (laughs) Very I think I'd, I'd uh, I start off uh, showing some of my Apple hardware with one of my favorite pieces. <laughs> nice.
2: Now, I like how you've taken the logo and you've turned it into yes. a penguin to kind of like, yeah, it's Apple, but I've Linuxed it, which yes. is kind of cool. There.
0: <laughs> so so that was...
2: <laughs> tell us what model we're looking at here.
0: OK, so this is my Apple Tangerine iBook G3 clamshell laptop. It's also known as the iMac to go to complement Apple's all in one fruity G3 desktop tops of the time. And I like to call them really kind of Hello Kitty computers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Hello
0: Tuxy. <laughs> yes, Hello Tuxy. Oh, that's perfect. And uh, this iBook came in five colors tangerine, blue, and blueberry were released first, then graphite, indigo, and key lime. And it was released July 21st, 1999 for $1,599.
2: Wow, that was an expensive laptop back then.
0: (laughs) But it was cheap for Apple. Yeah,
2: Good point. Yeah, that's really cheap for (laughs) Apple. Apple,
0: (laughs) So what was really cool about, about this machine, it was the first mainstream computer designed and sold with integrated wireless networking. And Apple released the airport wireless base station, at the same time and so the specs of this of this little guy are 300 megahertz power pc g3 288 megs of ram 32 meg which was soldered on board and then i added 200 a 256 megabyte stick to it and it has an ati rage mobility agp 2x with four megs of sd ram and six gig Gigs of hard drive space and a USB port.
2: Now, how well does Linux run on this thing? Beautifully. (laughs) I love
0: it. Beautifully. So what's really nice is I actually got, um, got got this one used in 2003 and it was missing RAM, the hard drive, and it was very dirty. And I cleaned it up inside and out and made it look like new, happy. And now it has Linux on it. So I'm, it is running and you can see, I have to have it plugged in because the battery is not good anymore. But what's (laughs) amazing
2: is this is a, this is a snapshot in history when Apple actually made a product that was repairable. I heard you were able to swap out the hard drive. You were able to add a stick of RAM, even though a portion of it was soldered on, you were actually able to repair the device. Amazing. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're just really flexible machines and one of Apple's first very flexible machines. So now I'm going to open it up and show you what's on here.
2: Look at that bezel. That bezel, though. <laughs> <laughs> that bezel is thick. It, not only does it have a huge bezel, but it has an extra bezel around the bezel. <laughs> the, wow. it's, it's like yeah. an
1: infinity bezel because it just keeps going. Yeah. It keeps going. Yeah.
0: So if you notice the theming, it's, yeah, it's, it's um, awesome. the stickers um, that I put on the top of it that I, I made custom stickers for it are what I used as the theme on the XFCE desktop. Nice. So it originally had uh, Mac OS 8.6 on it, but I immediately installed Debian on it. And then, like Zubuntu. <laughs> yeah, it. then Zubuntu 9.04, John T. Jackalope, back in 2009. And I actually um, brought it into my classroom and showed my students y- y- who had you know some of these machines at the time how to put Linux on it and um, do artwork on it with the GIMP. And even yes. doing some animation with the GIMP.
2: I love that wallpaper. It matches. Do you yes. match your wallpapers to the? Yes. outside? Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you Everything do. is so happy in your world, Jill. I just so- I love the wallpaper. It's a cute little I don't know penguin. Yes, um, it's with the an, baby
0: Tux. Yeah, <laughs>
2: baby Tux in there. Uh, it it almost looks like it's not real. It fits so yeah. well with the whole yeah. theme. It's perfect. Like, it,
1: it blends well with a, with the tangerine feel as well. <laughs> And it has like yeah. this, uh, that it looks like the apple <laughs> leaves on top of the, the penguin.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And so like we talked about last week, I like to customize my window managers <laughs> with my own theming and often color coordinate the theming of my desktop with the colors and look and feel of the computer. Now, is
2: that a rollerball mouse at the top? Or what is uh, that? No, at the a top speaker. There? That's yeah. a speaker. Okay. That's and speaker. let me see all the size of the trackpad. Look at that! Yeah, so they still it's actually
0: pretty good. Trackpad. Put a
2: bigger trackpad in than most PCs do. So, back <laughs> yeah, there. congratulations on that Apple and the <laughs> keyboard. How is it to type on?
0: Very nice, actually. I this is one of my favorite keyboards of all my Apple uh, computers. <laughs> very, it's cool. very nice. It, it fits my hands really well, and uh, but it's got also has you know USB and. Ethernet and oh, for the
2: kids, this is back when Apple put ports on their laptops. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> this is what they, when they knew port, what ports were. <laughs>
0: yeah. Ethernet, dial-up, and it even has a CD-ROM in it. And that I used to use this to play CDs at night. It was uh, it was by uh, on my nightstand. It's what I used to use uh, to listen to music at night before I went to bed.
2: My favorite thing <laughs> about your museum, Jill, is that you actually use this tech. You can tell that this tech actually gets use after all of these years instead of sitting there unplugged in, collecting dust, and just be like, yeah, this is this piece, and I'll never do anything with it. Like You use yeah. this stuff, and that's so cool to me. It's I still viable today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I did some some of our show notes on it. so
3: <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I love that.
0: And uh, the sad thing is it is actually getting harder to find Linux distros that support the PowerPC 32-bit architecture. But don't, don't fret, we have a, uh, some new distros in town. One is Mint PPC and huh. a Delhi Linux. There's Void Linux and you can compile Gen2 Linux on, on it and or to go with the tried and true Debian PPC. Yeah, so there you go. They are still available. Now this one was Ubuntu, you know, Ubuntu has stopped support for the PowerPC P- uh, platform. But that you have no. Debian
2: on it now, which hasn't yeah. stopped support, correct?
0: Correct. Yes. Nice. nice.
2: Well, now yeah. I want one. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's so adorable that I, I kind of want one. That is pretty cool. Yeah, seeing that yeah.
1: You also got to collect the set. You get all the different <laughs> colors and everything.
0: <laughs> yes. And and I actually do um, have one other one that was pretty damaged that I need to fix up. It's the indigo one. <laughs> so nice. I, that's definitely a project for the future. <laughs> I, I well, just only, I love it. When I you want you all the colors. Yeah,
1: yeah, all the colors. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just I love it when you, you we do the treasure hunt because you 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 show us something that is just a really fun uh, pro, uh, piece of uh, history when it comes to technology. And while I mean there may be people who are not like interested in Mac, I think that this is a fantastic example of when it was fun to have like the Apple stuff. Like they also like reminds yeah. me of the. Um, I forgot what they called it, but the like the the same era of the desktops they had, where they were also super colorful and that sort IMAX. of thing. IMAX, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, the IMAX, the, the yes. IMAX at that point, that that era. Uh, uh, those are it's it's such mm-hmm. a it's it's a great part of the of the history of technology. Whether you're a fan of Apple or not, it yeah. is still uh, a very interesting thing. So thank you very much for bringing it to the show. I, I think I I think I can speak <laughs> for everyone when we we could all say that we love the treasure hunt thing. So we need to keep doing this.
2: <laughs> yes, I agree. Aww. But you can't have it every week. That's why it's you have true. to tune yeah. in every week because you won't know when we're gonna <laughs> right. do the treasure hunt.
1: You got to tune in every week to make sure, just so you don't miss it. But we're we're gonna we're gonna make it special, so don't expect it every yeah, time. <laughs>
2: exactly. All right. So this week we're gonna talk about some gaming items out there, and one that came up on my radar is Loop Hero. So Loop Hero is a roguelike, pixel animated, automated, turn based combat strategy game. Did you get all that? That's a, that blends that's the say. best parts of RPGs, base-building sims, and loot-collecting games, which I love. I love my sweet loot, and a fantastic experience that's native, of course, to the Linux platform. I don't know. I, I should just start with this. Uh, Jill, have you played Loop Hero yet? Have you checked this one out?
0: Uh, not. Not yet. But um, I actually definitely uh, want want to. I'm really looking forward to to playing it. I love these
1: pixelated. It's the first time she's ever answered. It's
2: the first time, (laughs) literally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I was like, "Give me, like, Jill, tell us about the game. I'm sure you've played it." But these pixelated games. What's interesting is we have uh, GameSphere coming out, where uh, I'm joining with Matt to do the first episode where Matt's hosting GameSphere and we are doing a pixelated game like this, but in the cyberpunk world. And we talk Mm -hmm. about the fascination and the art behind pixelated games and why they're so cool. To Zeb's horror, um, Zeb would hate these type of games, but there is a lot that goes into creating them and making them a ton of fun. So I have an affinity for these type of games, and I love any game where it's all about, you know, collecting loot and more loot gauntlet style in there. So this is one to check out. It's got Linux support, came out March 4th, 2021, developer four quarters, and the publisher Devolver Digital Devolver. looks like a pretty cool game to go check out.
0: Yeah, Devolver does some of my favorite games, including Sirius Sam and the Talos Principle. Nice. <laughs> So That's a big am looking, cred
2: right there. Yeah, yeah,
0: because their games are some of the my favorites and the best. So I am really looking forward to playing this.
2: <laughs> and by the way, I want to mention that this pick here comes from the community itself. So one of the members of the community mm-hmm. sent this in, and they absolutely love this game. So thank you for, to the community for putting this one on our radar.
1: And uh, we'll just go. To, let's jump to the software spotlight. So. Last week, we covered customizing our desktops. If you missed DL214, then be sure to go check that episode out. There's a lot of great information. And also check out the show notes. We have links to the extensions that Ryan talked about, the tools that I talked about for plugins and stuff like that. So there's a bunch of stuff there in the show notes. But if you haven't seen that episode, you definitely want to check it out. It's a very fun episode. It's very interesting about the customization of, d- of the desktop. And I talked about customizing Plasma. And, I've, and I mentioned something that I wish existed, which was ability to save the configurations for KDE Plasma. So, they could easily export and import and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden this week, I found a project called Consave, which is exactly that. You could let you save your KDE Plasma customizations and restore them fairly easily. And that is something I was like, how have I never heard of this before? And it turns out, I found out about it yesterday, and it turns out it was created and released yesterday, so that it makes sense why we haven't seen it before. So did they yeah. hear our complaint and make it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I, I want to. I hopefully, they'll they'll respond to this 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 and let us know in the comments or something. But uh, I'm gonna send an email to like or like an email or issue or something to them. To find out because I, it was just perfect timing that I was like, I wish this existed, and all of a sudden, poof, it does. <laughs> It's like
2: I want a tool that has my cryptocurrency tracking and my stock tracking all in one. <laughs> Do it, community. I'll wait, I'll wait for it for next week.
1: It's, it's just, it's great. I'll have a link. It's a GitHub, uh, a GitHub project. We'll have a link to it in the show notes for Consave. Uh, it's just, I, I haven't tried it out yet because it just came out, but I am looking forward to play with it because this, it, the timing of this is just too perfect. So I had to cover it on the show.
2: Man, is this like a genie thing where we have an open source genie out there? Anything we ask for becomes reality. Yeah. <laughs> I this so. is amazing. We're going to have
1: to yeah. test this out in the next episode, too. Yeah,
2: yeah we're on definitely. to you, con-save genie. <laughs> Pretty cool tool.
3: This week, we're continuing our tips and tricks using Podman. Now that you know how to find, create, inspect pods, we're going to show you the magical powers of deletion. Be careful. Tread carefully to delete a pod that you're sure that you don't need and don't need to use anymore. You use the Podman pod rm, which will remove one or more stopped pods in the current containers from the host. Now, the pod name or ID can be used. The f option stops all containers, then removes them. Want to learn more about Podman? Then continue to tune in during our tips and tricks segment. And if this is confusing to you, then we invite you to go back and re-listen to the past episodes, not just about Podman. Before that, getting started with Git.
2: Love it. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. Also, a huge thank you to all of the open source genies out there when we complain about something making the application so Michael can be wrong the very next week, which is awesome. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful faces here with us right now and get a bunch of perks like unedited versions of show VIP access to events, live recordings of Destination Linux. You get to come hang out with the crew, the patron only chat afterwards. and they get to be in our gigantic
1: 50,000
2: square foot virtual studio every
1: single week. Right, the massive stadium of <laughs> recordings and stuff. And just to be yeah. just to be clear, I wasn't wrong at the time. I became wrong after the project was made. I feel
2: like so, they made you wrong
1: retroactively. Well, actually, wrong. I wasn't even wrong technically. They were just saying, "Oh, you you are right. There is this thing that needs to be done and then therefore it was done." You know, that's how I'm going to look at it.
2: Don't battle our open source genie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: In addition, every week on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch recordings of Destination Linux each week. We can't wait to see you in the chat.
1: And also go to the DLN store at DLNstore.com where you can pick up some swag like t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and so much more. You can check it out all at DLNstore.com.
0: We have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, which recently covered the massive solar SolarWinds hack, so make sure you don't miss that episode. The Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, and get you. your game on with our latest show, GameSphere. So go to DestinationLinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination.
2: Thanks, everybody.
1: See you next
3: week.
2: There we go. We needed that more pronounced I I, I did
3: it. You guys just didn't hear it. It was a
2: little quiet. No, I heard it. It was just quiet. Yeah, I wanted the... I needed the... Because I don't feel like the show's over. You need more emphasis.
1: That's what... There we (laughs) go. Perfect. (laughs) Thank Thank you.
2: Thank you. Hey, we're kind of early. We ended early.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is an interesting. <gasps> it's early. We were us.
3: lean. That's what we were.
1: Yeah. It was efficient. It was
3: efficient. Yeah, so yes.
2: efficient. Well, when we complain about stuff in the next week, it's fixed. That's going to help us in our efficiency <laughs> yes. tremendously. It does make it Definitely.
3: It does make it easier. <laughs> All
2: right, patrons, turn on your cameras, turn on your mics. Don't so be
3: so. Absolutely nothing like yesterday. <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, 100% true,
1: but still, wow. Yeah. I
3: I was part of that inefficiency.
2: (laughs) How long did you stream, Michael?
1: It wasn't very long. It was uh, five hours, I think. Oh my gosh.
3: (laughs) Yeah, not very long. So basically, you just kind of (laughs) stopped. Yeah, not really. uh... Yeah.